0: Have you ever had a significant event in your life overshadowed by something even more significant? Maybe it's a, a birthday that is unfortunately overshadowed by some sort of tragedy. Or, or a holiday that is overshadowed by an even more joyous event that, that may even make that holiday more Enjoyable, more memorable. I know some of you have stories that that come to mind right away. And here's the thing history does not look at all events equally. There are certain events that, though they should be remembered, they deserve to be talked about in history, they oftentimes get overlooked. Not necessarily because they're not important, but due to Timing. I want to give you a few examples. I know I've, I've shared this with you in the past, so some of you will remember these, but, but let me share these with you this morning. Who knows who this is? Look at this picture here. Anybody know who she is? That is Harriet Quimby. Harriet Quimby. And uh, she was one of the greatest early female aviators. In 1911, Quimby became the first woman to get her pilot's license with the Aero Club of America. And she was also a a successful uh, writer of screenplays in Hollywood, extremely talented woman. On April the 16th, 1912, she completed a flight across the English Channel, becoming the first female to fly the channel huge accomplishment worthy of note right but but overshadowed because on april the 15th 1912 the titanic sank y'all know that story right those of you not familiar with with uh, harriet quimby which i would say the majority of us would not be the majority of you or almost all of you you know about this event here right Two and a half months later, Quimby died in an accident during an aviation contest in Boston. And, and still to this day, her and her accomplishments, they're not remembered like the sinking of the Titanic. Let's fast forward a few decades to January 19th, nineteen. 19- 69 we've got an adventurous Explorer named John Fairfax. Here's a picture of him. He became the first person to row a boat across an ocean by himself for six months He rowed his boat across the Atlantic battling storms and exhaustion and landed on that day on January the 19th in Florida Though an incredible event, right, should be remembered forever. Believe it or not, it was overshadowed by another event on the very next day. On July the 20th, 1969, the eyes of the world were on the Apollo 11 astronauts who became the first humans to walk on the moon. Events... In history overshadowed by even greater events if you have your Bibles turn to Mark chapter 15 we are continuing our Easter series through Mark entitled Mark's Easter story and in our passage for today we are going to focus in on a section of Scripture and on an important event in Scripture that is often overlooked or glossed over because it is sandwiched in between two of the most important events in Human history after the crucifixion before the resurrection There was this event of the burial of the Lord Jesus and just like there were lessons to be learned from mark and in the previous couple of passages we've looked at over the last two weeks at at calvary there will be just like there will be lessons for us to learn next week when we look at the resurrection there are lessons to be learned from this event here jesus's Burial And these lessons can be learned by us studying the actions of three different groups of people who played a pivotal role in Jesus' burial. We're going to look at the actions of three different groups of people this morning and the lessons to be learned from them. Number one, I want you to see the actions of a bold Pharisee. Look at verses 42 and 43 of Mark chapter 15. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So, here in this passage, we are introduced to a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Scholars are torn on where exactly Arimathea is located. We're told in Luke 23, verse 50, it was a Jewish city. It was a Jewish town, which means that it was located somewhere in Judea. Some believe it was just a few miles away from Jerusalem. Others believe it to be as much as 20 miles away. We're not for sure. What we do know about Joseph, though, other than living in Arimathea, is that he was a righteous man. In Luke 23, verse 50, we're told Joseph was a good man and righteous man. He was a, a, a devout Jew, but he was, he was uh, also a follower of Jesus. We're going to see that in just a minute. But notice Mark says he was looking for the kingdom of God. Joseph was a, a truly devout Jewish leader who understood God's promises of rescue, his promises of salvation. He was longing for, he was looking forward to, eagerly anticipating the work that God had promised he was going to accomplish through his promised Messiah. And there, there's something else we learn of Joseph. We just said it a moment ago. We, we learn that Joseph believed that Jesus was God's promised man. He was his Messiah. Joseph loved Jesus. He knew Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He followed Jesus. We're told in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus he was a follower of him he looked to him believed on him he believed Jesus was the promised one God's man his Messiah which is shocking because we learn in verse 43 that Joseph is a respected member of the council you know what that means that means he was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee, but not just any Pharisee. He was a leader among the leaders. He was a, a member of this group of people who had orchestrated the betrayal and the trial and the beating and the killing of Jesus. How was he able to do that? Be a disciple of Jesus and remain a Pharisee? Well, he was a secret disciple up to this point. The Pharisees had been in the crowds where Jesus spoke and had followed him from place to place, observing all that he said and did. And while most of the religious leaders looked at Jesus with disdain in a a negative way, did not believe upon him, did not trust in him, Joseph looked upon him in faith. He was a believer. He was a follower of Jesus. And and notice here, he steps up and out for him. Now, John says he's still working in secrecy, but eventually his his plans are going to be made known because they know where the burial spot of Jesus is. He makes it known how he feels about Jesus to Pilate. He asked for Jesus' body. We're told in verse 43, Joseph took courage. This was a step of courage. This was a courageous act that he does. And he went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. A few things here I believe Joseph had in mind in wanting Jesus' body to bury it. One, because he, he loved Jesus, he wanted to give him a proper burial, which normally didn't happen in this day to those being crucified at the hands of the Romans. Context helps here. They would often let the animals devour the bodies after they were dead as they hung on the cross or they would take them down and take them to a certain place where they would be dumped and burned but i've read that there were exceptions made in jerusalem because of the jewish presence there and their beliefs about corpses being out in the open and how that could and would defile their land so the romans took that into account And they would take those who had been crucified around Jerusalem and they would place those bodies in a common criminal's grave. Again, Joseph of Arimathea did not want that for his friend, his rabbi. He he, he wanted Jesus to have a proper burial. So he asked if, if he could take Jesus and bury him in his own family tomb nearby. So that's the first thing I believe he had in mind. He wanted to give Jesus a proper burial. The other thing Joseph was concerned about was getting Jesus buried before 6 p.m. on that day. Now, remember the timeline. It's Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Mark tells us in verse 42, it was the day of preparation. That is the day before the Sabbath. Sabbath was on a Saturday. These events are taking place on a Friday, on the day of preparation. Remember in the Old Testament that on Friday they had to prepare for the Sabbath, right? They had to gather up food for for two days. They had to prepare for that day of rest so there would be no work to be done on the Sabbath day. So it's Friday evening, which when I say evening, think about their day's end at 6 p.m. So this would be earlier than it would be evening for us. So probably a little after 3 p.m. Okay, that's evening. Jesus is already dead, which is also unusual. We'll talk about that in just a moment. At 6 p.m. at sundown, the Sabbath begins. That's when the Jews recognized the seventh day of the week had begun. So no work was to be done. And not only was this, was this your weekly Sabbath, but it was also Passover, right and and though joseph was a disciple of the lord jesus christ he was also a a devout pharisee he knew he was to do no work he was not to exert himself in any way after six there was also rules about jewish people coming in contact with the dead and how that defiles you as well so joseph is on a time crunch here isn't he so he does Two things, very bold things. First, he steps up and steps out for Christ. He makes it known that he is with Jesus. They're going to know this. Even though he he acts in secrecy at first, they're going to know where that tomb is, where Jesus is, and that it's Joseph's. He's he's being courageous. He's being bold. He's showing that he is Jesus' disciple. It's a bold step, him stepping up to give him the proper burial. Totally took courage. He went to Pilate, asked for the body of Jesus. This was a dangerous stance to make at this time because he could lose everything. Jesus said, this is going to happen for those who stand strong for him. He says, they're going to hate you because of me. You'll be put out of the temple. You'll not be allowed to meet in the synagogues. You'll be disowned by family and friends. That's exactly what happened when we carry on into the book of Acts, right? That's what Joseph risked. By stepping up and out for Jesus, he risked losing everything, yet he did not hesitate to step up and out for Jesus. The loss was worth it, according to Joseph. Believers, may this be our perspective. We have said before that God may not call you to give all you have away, but we need to be moving to the place spiritually where we can say alongside Joseph and others that Jesus is worth it. Can you say that? with your most prized possession. Jesus is worth this. Listen, Scripture makes it crystal clear. Great loss is worth all we gain in the Lord Jesus. It is. Not only is he risking a lot stepping up and out as a Pharisee, but he's also risking a lot standing against Pilate again, making this request. I'm sure Pilate has had all he can take with the demands of the Jewish religious leaders. Now you have another one asking him for a favor. I'm sure he was tired of being intimidated by these crooked blackmailers who threatened to tell Caesar on him if he refused to do what they say. They had forced him to violate his conscience. They had given his precious wife nightmares. I don't know if she was precious, but to maybe to... To him, she was. They openly opposed his decisions. He didn't like them one bit. You can be sure of that. Now you have another one asking him for a favor concerning Jesus. Only family had the right to the body of a condemned criminal who had been killed. So this is a a big favor he's dialing up. We see how much Joseph loved Jesus by what he risked for him. What would be said of you? Would people be able to know how much you love Jesus for how much you risk for him? See that in Joseph's actions, don't we? Notice here that, that Pilate is surprised, not by the request, but by the fact that Jesus is already dead. Look at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have died already. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Pilate was surprised that Jesus had died so quickly. That was unusual, so much so that he summoned the exactor mortis, the centurion in charge of execution he summoned him to make sure that jesus was dead because normally crucifixion took longer the the, the romans had perfected this torturous process they it, it was meant to be slow and, and agonizing that's why it was shocking when when he heard that jesus was was already dead it's too quickly but the centurion reported that jesus was in fact dead and though it surprised. Pilate, it should not surprise us, believers, when we familiarize ourselves with the claims that Christ made and when we study the prophecies made about Him. Something we are reminded of here in these events that are recorded for us is that Jesus' life, get this, was not taken, it was given. You get that? Jesus's life was not taken it was given it was laid down by him as our great priest our great king priest he laid down his life as our perfect sacrifice Christ said this of himself did he not he said no one takes my life from me I lay it down it's also fulfilled prophecy the way in which he died Notice that because Christ was dead by three, they didn't have to break his legs. That's important. You see, they had to do that with those being crucified on the day before the Sabbath near Jerusalem. They did that to those being executed on that day so they could be taken down and carted off before 6 p.m. because the Jewish... People, they did not want dead criminals hanging on a cross on this day. So breaking their legs would speed the process along, keeping these men being crucified from being able to push up with their feet to get breath. This would suffocate and kill them. It's brutal, isn't it? I told you it was. They didn't have to do that with Jesus. This fulfilled prophecy. We often just kind of gloss over that, but don't do that. Listen. Psalm 34, 20, David prophesies he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken, fulfilled prophecy. So the centurion reports that Jesus is dead, and we're told in verse 45, Pilate granted the corpse to Joseph. Pilate granted yet another request, and it's an important one. Again, we often gloss over it, but don't do that. He allowed for Joseph, and we learn in John's account, Nicodemus, another prominent Pharisee, to take Jesus to be buried. Look at verse 46. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance Of the tomb we're told in matthew 27 verse 60 that it was a new tomb which means it was unused and was the family tomb of joseph of arimathea matthew tells us this in verses 59 and 60 joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in His own new tomb. What a wonderful stance, again, Joseph takes here with the Jewish religious leaders looking on after a time before Pilate. When most everyone else was in hiding, Joseph was standing strong for Jesus. And we learn from other places in Scripture that what Joseph does here in taking Jesus from the cross and taking him to his family tomb, it fulfills important prophecy all over the place. Let's take a moment to look at a few of these before we move on. One is found in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9. Well known chapter filled with fulfilled prophecy about Jesus' death. In verse 9 we're told and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. This is truly amazing. Jesus was buried like every other sinner. With sinners who had lived and died. He was buried in a place where other sinners would eventually be buried and close to the tomb of others. But notice here, we're, we're told by Isaiah hundreds of years before this event here that his grave will also be with the rich man. Now whose tomb is he in? Who's been tracking with me? Joseph's, right? Listen to what we're told about Joseph. Listen to Matthew 27, 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph. He was a rich man. Fulfilled prophecy, folks. Isaiah said Jesus' grave would be with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Hundreds of years before this event took place. On what day of the week was Jesus buried? He was buried on a Friday, right? Before 6 p.m., What day did he rise? Sunday, yeah. First day of the week, this too fulfilled prophecy. Joseph was hurrying to get him in the tomb before the Sabbath, but what God is doing is he is working providentially through Joseph to fulfill Christ's words that he said in Matthew 12, 40, where he said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. God used Joseph bearing Jesus before sundown on Friday to fulfill this prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy all over the place. Joseph was bold for Christ. What changed in him? Well, his heart changed, right? He had been radically changed. While most of the disciples were nowhere to be found, they were in hiding. Two secret disciples have emerged from the shadows and are standing strong for Jesus. Maybe this is the message you need to hear this morning. Maybe you're in the shadows as a Christ follower. And it's time for you to rise up and emerge like a Joseph of Arimathea, like a Nicodemus, and stand up and step out for Christ in your school, in the workplace, before friends and family, in the home. I pray that God would give you His grace, the ability and the desire and the power and the words that you need to stand up and be bold for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, though there were not many standing for Christ after his death, we have these two unlikely Pharisees. But notice the women as well. There were a few women still there. They did not leave Jesus' side. And again, like we said last week, there are great lessons to be learned from the women at Calvary. So notice in addition to the bold Pharisee, you have the actions of two faithful women. Look at verse 47. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Now remember, we we talked about these faithful women last week. Mary Magdalene was a devoted Christ follower. The other Mary mentioned in this passage is the mother of, of James, the wife of Cleopas. They were there at the cross with Jesus during the darkest days of his life, and, and they are at the tomb. They'll be at the uh, tomb when we look at the passage next week to witness Jesus' resurrection. Mark, by mentioning the women at, at Calvary during Jesus' crucifixion and, and at the burial and at the resurrection, he is making a point He wants us to see that these women are always with Jesus. They are faithful through thick and thin, no matter what. When Jesus said, Abide in me, this is what he had physically in mind, right? And spiritually, be with me. That's where they wanted to be. Do you want to be with Jesus? Simple question. You want to spend time with them? Do you long to commune with them? What about when times are bad? Times of uncertainty, when times are are dark and difficult. Do you want to be with Jesus? Boy, these women did. They were unwavering in their commitment to Christ. May that be said of us, church. They were there. And an obvious question that needs to be asked by us is where on earth are the disciples? Where are they? We have two faithful Pharisees and godly women here. Where are the disciples? Remember, they're scattered. They didn't want to be considered guilty by association. So they're nowhere near Calvary. And even John, who is at the cross, is not here with them now, right? Yet, you have these two strong, courageous, faithful women with Jesus. Guys, we do not have the market cornered when it comes to strength and courage and faithfulness. Do you realize that? It took courage, it took took boldness to stand like these ladies do for Jesus while, while most of the disciples are in hiding. Here, these ladies are with Jesus Christ at the cross. In the tomb as he's being buried and there on Sunday as well well I know we're out of text here but I do want to draw from Matthew's account for our last point on the burial of Jesus to show you one more group here that we can look to and learn from we've looked at the actions of a bold Pharisee the actions of two faithful women Look at the actions. Notice the actions of Jesus' enemies. Flip back in your Bibles to Matthew 27. Okay, Matthew 27. Flip back there with me. I want you to look at verses 62 through 66. Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Here's what we're told. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. I like that. Verse 66. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Folks, what happens here in this passage is very, very important and gives as much evidence as any to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice they go out of their way to make sure nothing happens inside that tomb where Jesus' body lay. We're told after the day of preparation, this is on the Sabbath day, the religious leaders are hard at work breaking their own laws to try to get this deal done. They shouldn't have been working, but they were making sure the body of Christ stayed put. Notice verse 62. We're told that the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, hanging out with the Gentile on the Sabbath, the big no-no on Passover. They normally didn't do that, but they didn't care. They hated Jesus more than they loved their own law. They, They bother Pilate once again. Pilate just can't get away. From these pesky religious leaders they say sir we remember how that impostor that's how they refer to Jesus you can hear the hatred in their voice can't you they said we remember how that impostor said he would rise after three days from the dead they said because of this claim order that the tomb be made secure until the third day so his disciples will not come and, and steal his body away and tell his followers that he has risen from the dead. Now, we know looking back, seeing the actions of the disciples after the death of Jesus, they have no plans to do any such thing, do they? they were all in hiding. They're in the shadows, all shacked up somewhere. The last thing on their minds was to steal the body and trump up a resurrection myth. They were devastated after Jesus' death. They were in a helpless and hopeless state. The scribes and the Pharisees were probably thinking about what they would have done if they were in this situation. Of the disciples because we know they were as unethical as you could be they were about as crooked and corrupt a, a, a bunch as you could you could find in this day right so they said make the tomb secure because if someone were to steal that body that fraud would be worse than the first and what they mean by this is though it was bad for them that Jesus claimed to be the Messiah had a big following healed the sick, Tall with authority, claimed to be sent by God. What in their minds would be worse is if his body came up missing and they said he rose from the dead. So they order Pilate to make that tomb as secure as they can. And how does Pilate respond? Once again, he does it. Why? Because at the end of verse 64, there is a warning. You see, Jesus was convincing. Today's Palm Sunday. We know we're remembering that, that time when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. You remember what happened when he entered into Jerusalem? People were meeting him in the streets, shouting, Hosanna, save now is what that word means. Save now, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were giving Jesus messianic accolades and and. That brought about unrest between Jesus and his followers and the Jewish religious leaders. The Jewish religious leaders warned that if Jesus' body turned up missing... They would be lost, those people would be lost for good on Jesus' side. They would have an even greater division, and they warned Pilate about this division. It would be chaos, and Pilate doesn't want that. He wants peace in, in his area, right? So there would be greater problems on his hands, and Pilate doesn't want that, which is why he gives in. Look at verse 65 again. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. But we know their efforts were futile, right? All for naught. You know how I know that? We have to come back next week. All right? We will wrap up this series... By talking about on resurrection Sunday Jesus's resurrection I'll let you in on a little bit you should know right we're gonna see next week the complete inability of God's enemies from stopping Jesus from coming up out of the grave but you didn't notice something here we're told in Matthew 27 66 They make the tomb as secure as they can, which was actually a big mistake for the Jewish religious leaders to push for this because if they would have left the tomb alone and open, there could have been a lot of reasons to give for why the tomb was empty on Sunday. Instead, what they did was they locked it down and sealed it up so tight that they made the explanation of a stolen body hardly believable. The only explanation that makes sense is the resurrection, believers. They seal up the tomb so that no one can have access to the tomb, and they set up the only possible explanation when the tomb is found empty. How about that? They're doing the, the Lord's bidding, right? We'll talk about the empty tomb next week. Let me close this morning by saying this. As we reflect on these three groups of people we've been talking about, there's a question that comes to mind, a simple question that I must ask, and it says, where are you in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ today? Maybe you're here this morning. You can relate with Joseph of Arimathea, a closet Christ follower. Maybe that's where you are you believe in Jesus you want to be more more bold for him You want to step out and step up like like Joseph does in this text, but you're 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 hesitant You're you're thinking about the consequences of that and that makes you fearful My prayer for you is that God would show you that your life is to be lived for him and him alone It matters not what people think it matters. What God thinks believers? that that would be what drives you to live to please him and bring glory and honor to him and I'm I'm praying that God would give you the the grace you need the opportunities you need the support you need the power you need the words that you need to be more bold for him. Maybe you're here this morning and you can relate a bit with the situation with the women in this passage. Maybe you've been following hard after Jesus, doing your best to follow him faithfully, but you have fallen on some tough times. Some storms have hit. You feel lost. You feel alone. You're drifting spiritually. My my prayer for you is that your response would be like the ladies in this passage. I pray you would not waver. I pray you would not drift, but cling to Christ through the storms of this life and that he he would use is what you're going through even to make you more and more like Christ. He would take you from where you are through that storm and that trial and you, your faith would not waver and you would continue to follow hard and fast after Jesus. That's my prayer for, for you. Respond like the women do. Want Jesus. Desire Jesus. Look to Jesus. Cling to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Follow hard after Jesus no matter what. No matter what. Maybe you're here this morning, you can relate to the unbelieving scribes and Pharisees in this story. It's set against Christ, you don't believe in him, you're not trusting in him, you wish people like me would stop talking about him. Maybe that's where you are. This is you. My my prayer for you today is that you would come to see Christ for who he truly is, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, and you would come to understand and believe, and that you would you would trust in the great work that Christ has accomplished on your behalf. I pray that, that you would understand and believe that Christ is God the Son, left the riches of heaven for you, became a man for you, lived a life you could never live, a life without sin a life in perfect fellowship and relationship with God the Father for you and for me and he laid that perfect life down he was raised back up for us so that we through faith alone in him alone could have Christ righteous life in exchange for our sinful one so that through faith alone in Christ alone we could move from enemies of God to being children of God. I pray you would see that. I pray you would understand that work today, and I pray that you would trust in Christ alone for your salvation today. If you have not, now's the time. Acknowledge your sin. Forsake your sin. Express your need for what Christ has done, and trust in Him alone for your salvation.